verses to cover that are deep and profound and uh, it will be good for us to think about these verses today in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verse 24 through 30, faith that overcomes extreme need, faith that overcomes in the context of extreme need. Let me read the Word of God. Mark seven twenty four. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let's pray. Father, in your grace and kindness, please teach us what we should be learning, acknowledging that you have a message for each, each of us, every one of us, uh, to hear from this text of Scripture. And Father, I pray that nothing I say will be distracting from what you have to say to us today. Uh, Lord, assist me to proclaim your glories today, I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, so we've actually, if you start at verse 24, we've seen this theme before in Mark where Jesus is trying to get away from the crushing crowds. I've pointed out several times he does, he's at his very high point of popularity and here we're off in a region called Tyre and Sidon, which is in up north in modern-day Lebanon. In fact, the Reformation Study Bible has a, a simple note on this. It says, Jesus moves north into a markedly Gentile region to the vicinity of the ancient Phoenician port city of Tyre in modern Lebanon. And, by the way, interestingly enough, and the region of Elijah's sojourn with a widow in Zarephath. That's a reference from 1 Kings 17. In the, in the hour and a half version of this sermon, we go and look at that and think about it. But this is not that version. <laughs> but so he's, 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 this is kind of wild, actually. This is his venture out. He's been in Galilee. Uh, Mark hasn't recorded, but he has been down in Judah, too. He'll, in Mark, well, he'll go down to Judah in a little while. But he's been in Galilee we sang a song, Jesus the Nazarene, right? Uh, he's called the Nazarene. It was a town in way north of, of Jerusalem 
in the region called Galilee, a town there called Nazareth. So he was the Nazarene. Even that's kind of ironic because he's not a Nazarene. Um, he was born in Judah. He was born in Bethlehem, you know, much more, that's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, forgive me for stepping on regional toes, but let, let's just put it this way, like, I was born in San Francisco Bay Area. I was born in Walnut Creek, which is kind of a nice area. It's grown up to be, when I left, it got a lot nicer. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it'd be like saying, oh, Nate, he's, he's from uh, Red Bluff, California which is way up by Redding. It's a little tiny little tot off, a, tot, a dot off of I-5. Uh, it, it is okay. It's beautiful. But it, it is not San Francisco, right? I could say, wait a minute. No, no, no. I was born in San Francisco Bay Area. That's much, much better. Um, but anyway, it's kind of interesting that Jesus is identified with Na the Nazareth town, a little bit ironic there. But here he's venturing out, getting out of Jewish territory. Uh, into Tyre and Sidon, and as the commentator said, markedly Gentile region. And even there, his reputation precedes him. They know about him there. Isn't that interesting? Uh, this lady has heard of him. And, and also this theme of him trying to get away. Every time he tries to get away, he can't. Uh, he's here to serve. It's actually one of the themes of the book of Mark. He came not to be served, but to serve. What did he say? This is my body, which is for you. He didn't consider his body even his own. It was here for us. He was here for us. So he's the ultimate servant in, in the gospel of Mark. And uh, don't you like that last phrase? Uh, it's uh, a pregnant phrase. Yet he could not be hidden. <laughs> you, you can't hide the light of the world. <laughs> you cannot hide Jesus. This, this should be true of our lives. You know, we, we believe Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And you, we shouldn't be able to hide Jesus. You can't hide Jesus. He leaks out. He shines out. He's uh, everywhere seen. And, and that's the situation here. And then he comes along, here's an old artwork uh, of the scene, obviously not very accurate, but there's, there's some interesting things here. Uh, here's this Syrophoenician lady. She's Greek, the text says Greek or Gentile, of Syria, Syro, and Phoenician. So she's from a rich history, genetically speaking, very not Jewish, and she's probably Greek uh, speaking and or religiously. Notice he's got little dogs here playing. This is all, all just, uh, you know, made up, but it's kind of interesting. And he's got little really chubby kids here munching down on some big hunks of bread. So I, I tried to find the author, and I gave it four minutes of research, couldn't find it. So in today's world, well, forget it, you know. <laughs> but anyway, all due respect to whoever the author was. Um, we find this interesting um, confrontation uh, in, the, in the text. Mark's happy word, he loves this word, immediately. It's like, boom, there it goes again. Whoa, didn't expect that. But immediately, a woman, and notice it says, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit. 
and she comes to Jesus. She has heard about Jesus. And before we get too far, this is not the point of the text, but I think it certainly ties us in with a previous text. I want to think about this idea. A little daughter, how old is she? Well, she's probably four years old through fourth grade. Yeah. <laughs> she was just dismissed, and she's in Kingdom Kids. Uh, you, know, I'm, you know what I mean, right? I mean, she's of that age group. A little daughter. And she's, she has an unclean spirit? Wow, that's horrible. And that's uh, used, that word is used in Mark before uh, for a demon, and, and it's identified in our text later on as a demon. Uh, he says, the demon has left your daughter. So we have this horrible idea represented here that a little child can be oppressed and possessed by an evil spirit. And I think it's fair to ask, wow, why is that? How could this be? Uh, unclean. You know, we think so much about clean water. This is sort of a yes on J, no on J sort of thing. <laughs> I have no, no interest in Proposition J. I'm just making a point. We think about water a lot. Flint, Michigan, right? Water, water, water. Pure water is super important, right? It sure is. It's actually one of the world's biggest problems. You go to uh, all over the world. I've had the privilege of traveling in, in India, as most of you know, because I mention it once in a while. And across the board, you don't drink the tap water. You buy bottled water, mineral water, uh, and you drink it because it's not safe to drink the water. But Jesus, in our previous context, had some really amazing things to say about the cleanliness of things we take into our body. Remember that? He says, um, if you look at uh, verse 18 of our same chapter, uh, look at verse 18 in the middle. It says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Now, he's not making a point about microbiology. He's not. But he's saying what really defiles us spiritually and what causes us to be sinners and to sin, it's not whether or not we're drinking pure water. It's actually, look at what he says here. Verse 19, since it enters not the heart, but the stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. And the, uh, the language there in Greek, it's uh, dialogos, dialogues that are pernicious, evil. In our hearts, we're constantly having an evil dialogue. It's, it's always saying, what about this? What about that? What do you think about this? And, and this is our hearts. And then he has 12 examples uh, of this evil dialogue in our hearts, which we looked at uh, two weeks ago. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So I, last couple weeks ago, I, I think I coined this word. We have a portable filth generator. 
right in us. That's what Jesus says. It, uh, this is the word of Jesus. He's saying, this is the problem. It's not externals. Externals are important. Environment is important. Clean water is important. Uh, yes, but we are by nature sinners. We are by nature in need of salvation. And the need is so great, it's something we cannot do on our own. We need to be saved. That's why Jesus came. Believe me, Jesus didn't come because we were just lazy. We had the capacity to save ourselves, but we're just lazy. So he came, okay, I'll do it for you. you know, no, he came because it was absolutely impossible for a human being to save himself or herself. Because we're fallen. Our heart is black. And it is a portable filth generator. So how could this be that we have this uh, image, I mean this reality of a little child, a little daughter who's possessed of an unclean spirit? Well, the little girl starts with a portable filth generator. I'm not being too harsh. Jesus says 12 huge sins are in our dirty hearts. Uh, and that's not acquired. It, it is from birth. It is congenital. Uh, so she starts that way. She, all children start falling. I mean, honestly, if you just spend some time with children, you would never argue with this point. I mean, we love children. We love children. You know, <clears throat> We're so privileged we have some grandkids living in our house. It's a great joy. You know, and I put, I put Ezekiel down to, to bed uh, the other night, and I said, you know, don't make a noise. Lay still. Okay. I stepped out the door and shut it. He goes, Randy! <laughs> Immediately calling out to his daughter, uh, excuse me, his sister. Um, you know, he, he disobeyed me immediately. Where did that come from? You know, well, he is a little rebel. So all people start this way. And then, secondly, by the way, we're all raised in a broken environment. We're all raised in an environment where, in, in her case, Syrophoenician Greek, uh, in, in, me, in many ways, evil was not discouraged at all. Perhaps it was encouraged. Uh, I have the privilege of doing a lot of counseling in the outside world. I volunteer as a hospital chaplain up at Community Hospital. and I was in the uh, psychiatric unit last week and t talking with a couple of young men there and you know tell me your history so they go through their history you know uh, and it's 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 very discouraging what they've been exposed to at young ages and it, it's no wonder they're having deep seated issues and deep seated problems and perhaps even issues with unclean spirits they're in an environment that's broken and filthy spiritually speaking I mean, they get clean food and water, but uh, what really is uh, serious is the moral filth. What did she have going for her, though, this dear sweet little daughter? She did have a very loving mother who was looking for help, and uh, the truth is we found out in the book of Mark that there's many evil and unclean spirits in Galilee as well, so in the uh, realm of Judaism, there's still a lot of evil there. My wife and I were privileged to homeschool our children, 
and we don't homeschool them to keep evil out of their lives. I mean, we want to keep you know, a lot of it out, but the fact is the minute we're, we're there, there's plenty of evil. <laughs> many kids in homeschool have just as many problems as outside kids who don't live in that. Why is that? Because we're all sinful. We all need to be redeemed. We need to overcome uh, the sin nature through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, what, where, where do I go with this? I'm, I'm just saying, this certainly reminds us that we live in a dangerous spiritual environment. And I, what to do, what to do. Definitely seek Jesus earnestly. That's what this young lady did. Seek Jesus earnestly with all our hearts. And here's kind of an idea. She, look, look what the text says. She fell at his feet. She fell down. Immediately the woman with a little daughter, an unclean spirit, heard of him. Verse 25, it came and fell down at his feet. How earnest are we when we need help? How humble should we be as we come to Jesus? We fall at his feet. Well, why would we do that? He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the king of kings. He's not a prophet. He's the prophet. He, he's not a priest, he's the priest. He's not a king. He's the king of kings. What should our proper approach to Jesus be? Great humility, great earnestness. We need help, dear Lord God. I love our psalm today. I've emphasized it a lot already. May, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. And so we see this lady humbly coming to Jesus, and she, she's then pressing. Look at the, what the text says. Uh, down in verse 27, 28. She's begging. She's keeps coming to Jesus. She won't be put off. There, verse 26 is the word I was looking for. And she begged him. She begged him. Uh, you know, look with me at Luke. Luke chapter 18. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Luke chapter 18. This is something you should uh, be familiar with. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. The troubles we face can cause us to despair. Having a daughter so deeply troubled that it seems impossible to overcome this problem, that, that needs to push us further and harder toward the source of help. And we ought always to pray and not lose heart. He's the maker of heaven and earth. That's the person to whom we bring our requests. She begged. And here's a dog begging. The dogs are very um, persistent, aren't they? <laughs> they keep coming and humbly coming at us, asking for our help. She begged Jesus to help. I, I found this quote from Matthew Henry. I liked it. He says, Note, the greatest blessing we can ask of Christ 
for our children is that he would break the power of Satan, that is the power of sin, in their souls. And particularly that he would cast forth the unclean spirit that they may be temples of the Holy Ghost and he may dwell in them. This text does this. That's what this lady is praying about. Lord, please save my daughter. Pray for your children. Do not give up uh, in prayer. Do not lose heart. Keep praying. She's persistent. Uh, Then we have this big example of persistence. We're going to talk about it a little bit more in a minute. But let's just look at the text, verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now that that really sounds horribly insulting. And the truth is, it is horribly insulting. Uh, But in the cultural context, there is a deep cultural context there. It actually makes sense. And there's some grace in the, the vocabulary here too. The cultural context is everybody knew that God was working with the Jews at this time in history. Salvation is of the Jews. And to be really right with God, you had to become a Jew. You had to proselytize and keep the law of Moses. And if you are a man, you would have to be circumcised to become a Jew, to be right with God. And so that's the children. That's the children's bread. Salvation is of the Jews. The word of God is to the Jews. I'm here to serve the Jews uh, but she is persistent. Now, as I said, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. I want to first just take it from her perspective. You know, how, how would she feel when Jesus said that? And the grace in the text is, by the way, the, the word dogs means little dogs, little actually house dogs. Uh, there's another word for dog, um, which is these wild dogs running all over, eating all the garbage in the cities. Uh, they didn't have an SPCA. Um, they had just let the dogs run and clean the city, essentially. They were the garbage keepers. But this is a house dog. This is a trained, domesticated, friendly little little puppy. Uh, so he, that's grace in what he said. Essentially, you're in the house, but you're a dog, and I'm not supposed to give you the crumbs. And she said this, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs, and this is cool because, again, the text literally says this, even the little dogs under the table, eat the little crumbs that the little children drop. So she's not even put off. This is amazing persistence with this lady. I think she stands as a huge example of us pursuing God, earnestly seeking Jesus for his help. Uh, I found this quote from uh, a... um, motivational speaker named Zig Ziglar. I like it anyway. It's failure has been correctly identified as the line of least persistence. She persisted. She didn't take the line of least least persistence. She didn't give up easily, did she? She kept at it. And actually, the cool thing is, in all of the Gospels, She's the only one who ever won an argument with Jesus. (laughs) So she's unique in this situation. And she's showing faith that keeps motivating her to push to Jesus as the source of help. Uh, A great commentator, Lenski, 
who's died in the early uh, 1930s, he said this, she did not even ask why God did as he did. It is God's arrangement that is enough. And there's a resignation. She's not saying, God, I want to argue with the way you're doing things. He's like, okay, I'm willing to accept. I don't understand this way that you're doing things necessarily, but I accept it, and I'm asking you to help me, oh Lord God. So now, as I said, let's take a minute, which we have a couple of minutes. Uh, usually I try to quit about now, but you guys are in for extra value. You know, no extra charge for this. Just a couple more minutes, seriously. Um, <laughs> um, again, let's go back to the artwork. And, and again, it, the whole point is these little, little dogs. Jesus is actually here um, saying that I, I'm not going to give you this to the little dogs. And she comes and says, but, but even the little dogs get a scrap, oh Lord. Why is Jesus saying this? As I've already indicated, Jesus is operating in a particular time frame. Uh, some theologians would call it a dispensation, a way that God is dealing with people during this time period. Uh, he's foreshadowing the fact that this is all going to change eventually. But for now, blessings go to the Jew first and then to the Greeks. But he's not indicating that she won't get a blessing, right? She, she, he says it's got to go to the children first and then perhaps to the little dogs, which he does give to her. So let's, let's, I'm just realizing I can sum this up. Uh, this is kind of the idea here on the whole issue of how did he say this rather insulting thing. This is earlier on. He sent the disciples out on a missionary journey. And in Matthew, it records this. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter in no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This was the time period. This is how God was working in this time period. Uh, and even in after this time period, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. But the reality is, as I said, Jesus is actually foreshadowing the fact that things are going to change. And Blessings come to all, all people of all races. And let's just close with that idea. What is this story really about? The story is about Jesus living this reality. But now faith, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, and the guardian is the law of Moses. We're no longer under that dispensation. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. There's a modern praise song that's really bold, but I kind of like it. Have you heard it? It's just, I am a child of God. Have you heard that song? It repeats that phrase several times. I am a child of God. It's a, it's a victorious, beautiful 
reality. And that's what this verse says. By faith, through faith, you are all sons of God. You're all children of God, all people who come by faith. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's no more racial distinctions when it comes to the grace of God. There's neither slave nor free. This is an economic distinction. The, the wealthy and the laborers are all saved by the only means possible, who is Jesus Christ. In Christ, we're all saved. Uh, he's the only way any of us can be saved. And there is no male or female. And no male and female. They're saying men and women are saved the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what is this story really about? It's about the grace of God that overcomes barriers. It's about a, a Syrophoenician woman who persistently comes to Jesus and gets what she's looking for. Uh, I like what First Peter talks about here. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's our call as the church. Love everyone earnestly from a pure heart. You've been saved to love one another earnestly. Okay, here's the summary then of what I'm trying to say today quickly. What is this story about? First of all, it is about a super mother who pushes through many severe obstacles to seek help for her daughter. You, you cannot despise the earnestness of a mother who loves her dear child. And, of course, it is about Jesus in his superpowers able to heal remotely. He doesn't even go to the possessed young girl. He, he's, you know, remotely distant away, is able to cast out the demon. He is, after all, the son of God, the son of man, the infinite king of kings. He has all power. That's who Jesus is. And he suspends dispensational barriers to bring help. And then finally, it is a foreshadowing of what the church should be. What should the church be? A huge shame on the church is that our enemies accuse us of racism and hate. It's a huge shame. And the real shame of it is they actually have real evidence to prove it. For the church has been racist. The church has been filled with hate. They have tons of evidence to back up their claims. We need to condemn hate and violence and racism of all kinds. It is not acceptable. Uh, Jesus says that the gospel is for all people. There is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave nor free. There is no male or female. The gospel is that we are all the same. We're all desperately wicked in need of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. We condemn hate, violence, and racism of all kinds. 
This hate is the polar opposite of the message of Jesus. Here is the, what John said about it. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So it's actually an absolute sign. If you're filled with hatred toward people and you go into a facility and shoot them and kill them, murder them, you are not saved. You abide in death. You are not a Christian. You are not right with God. Again, John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So the shame here is that people who are in the church, the Christian church, they quote Christian gospel and Christian Bible, who run around hating, hating races and promulgating it and passing on to their children the hatred of a race. And it is absolutely wrong, according to the word of God. We should be a place of multiracial, multicultural unity. We should be a place where all people are equal. We are all the same, spiritually speaking. We are all lost and in need of a Savior. Once we are born again, we are all the same in that we must grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your grace. We thank you for the word of God, which says that now that we have been born again through the tremendous work of Jesus that we've really emphasized today in song and scripture and in the Holy Communion, we've emphasized the work of Jesus to save us. And then he says he saved us for sincere love of the brethren. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus didn't outright reject this woman. We also thank you for her persistence and her humility. Uh, thank you that she stuck with it and did not lose heart. She obeyed your word with, without even probably knowing it. We thank you, Lord, for that. We pray that we follow that example. Lord, help us to be a place of love. Help us to be a place of unity. Help us to be a place of, of multi-ethnicity uh, that symbolizes what the church really is ultimately uh, together, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand for a closing song and bend.